<laughs> like I said, the good news is he's out of knees. So uh, <clears throat> turn your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, I will be looking at uh, several verses. So put your, uh, put your marker there. I, because of the multitude of verses I've got, I'm not going to have you necessarily turn to all of them. Uh, otherwise, we might be here for uh, longer than most of us want to be here. Uh, why? That's an interesting question. Uh, having children, you ever notice the, the little ones, you, you, you say something, and what is their response? Why? Well, then you give them an answer, and then why? And you give them an answer, and you finally, and you're not supposed to do this, but I did. You say, because I said so, that's why. I am, I've, I've given you several reasons. I've given you why we're going to do something. But have you ever noticed in the Bible that there's a lot of questions in the Bible? Uh, I had never really specifically thought of them in this context, and that's what we're going to look at, is why does God ask questions? Now, we have several places in the scriptures where David asked questions. Uh, uh, let me see. Solomon asked questions. The disciples asked questions. Jeremiah asked questions. There's several people in the Bible asked questions, but I'd never really thought about does God ask questions and why does he ask questions? In, uh, here in Genesis chapter 4, I forgot. Do you all normally stand or sit while, while we start this? It's up to you. Okay, let's all stand if you're able. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, we're going to read uh, Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Turn your Bibles, please, to Genesis. No. <laughs> uh, it's been a treat being here. That's, that's, that's all I got to say. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said... I have gotten a man-child from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But... Unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance falling? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? There's three questions in a row that God asks him. And if thou doest well, not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Why does God ask questions? Father, I ask in these next few minutes that we're gathered together to look at your word, that you give wisdom and clarity. Lord, give understanding of the scriptures. And oh Lord, would you guide us in truth. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the patience of God shows why he asks questions when he already knows the answer. The reason he asks is, one, to get to the heart of the matter and to try to reason with people to come to a right conclusion. So he asks questions for us to think about what it is that he asks so that we might come to the right conclusion. We'll see uh, in a little bit that uh, 
uh, God, not only God does it for teaching and instruction, but Jesus did it frequently in the, uh, in the New Testament. But it's to get us to stop and think, okay, why did I do such and such? Why have I thought about this? To get us to the heart of the matter, trying to reason with people to get to the right conclusion, such as Genesis chapter 3, 9, and the Lord called unto Adam and said, where art thou? Uh, what had happened was Adam and Eve had sinned, and so the first thing he said, I mean, he asked the question, he, know, he knows where they are, he knows that they're hiding in the garden and everything, but he asked them the question for Adam to stop and consider, why am I hiding from God? Exodus 4, 2, and the Lord said unto him, being Moses, what is that in thy hand? It was a rod, which the Lord used that to turn into a snake, which was used to uh, the, rod, the snake and the rod over, the, over a period of time was used to bring the people uh, uh, out of Egypt, uh, even though they were fighting against uh, Pharaoh. Exodus 14, 15. And the, Mo uh, and the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. They're at the Red Sea. Uh, they're getting ready to cross, but he, he calls out to the Lord, or the Lord calls out to him and says, Why are you standing here? Did I tell you to go for it? Have I protected you from behind and before with a pillar of fire uh, at night and a pillar uh, of cloud in the daytime? You've been obedient to a certain point up to this place. The command has been to go for it. Why are you, why are you just standing here? Tell the people to start moving. 1 Kings 19.9 And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto, and said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? We, we looked at part of that, uh, I believe it was on the first Sunday morning that I was here. What doest thou here, Elijah? <clears throat> to run a short rabbit trail, because I don't want to go further off of this, but to add to the, the message about Elijah that we looked at uh, a couple of Sundays ago. Have you found yourself in that situation? What are you doing here, Larry? What is, how, did you, how did you end up here? What, what, what's going on? Why, why is it that uh, you become hard-hearted and indifferent? Uh, why, why are you, what are you doing here? You're, you're, you're wrecking your family by your decisions that you're making or the wrong decisions that, uh, that you have made. What are you doing here because of this situation? Uh, I think that would be a title for a good message. I'm leaving. Y'all are in charge of <laughs> coming up with, but I, I, the more that I have thought about that, I think that would be a good title for a message. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? We're in church. We're fellowshipping one with another. We're enjoying the, the piano specials. We're enjoying the, the, uh, the choir number. We're enjoying the fellowship of one another. What are you doing here? I'm trying to serve the Lord today. That's what I'm doing here. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 9, and, uh, excuse me, John, Jonah chapter 4, verse 9, and God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And so the Lord asked him again, and, uh, and should, verse 11, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than 6,000 persons that cannot discern between the right hand and their left, and also much scale? Well, 
Do you have a good reason to be angry? 120,000 people respond to the Lord. Not only did uh, when Jonah finally gets spit out of the great fish or the whale, depending upon uh, how you look at it, uh, after he, get, he goes into Nineveh and starts preaching from one side of the city to the other. Not only did they repent in sackcloth and ashes, if you go back and look at that, they put sackcloth and ashes on the animals too. We are serious about this. So, and you're complaining about the gourd because, uh, because it gave you shade for a little bit. When it started out, you were angry because I sent you in there to preach to them and they actually responded. Why does God ask questions to get to the heart of the matter and to bring us to a right conclusion? Why does God ask questions, number two? Because of his loving kindness and his mercy. Turn, uh, hold your finger here. Turn back to Psalm 103, which we just read. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 2. Why does God ask questions? Because of his loving kindness, and mercy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. It's the nature of God. Why does he ask us questions? Because it's his nature to show his love and concern. He could ignore the situation. He could ignore us in, in uh, we're only half-hearted or whatever. He could ignore us in that uh, uh, we attended church, but I didn't hear the gospel message. My, my mind was on something else. He could ignore all that, but he doesn't because of his loving kindness. Jeremiah 9.24 said, He understandeth and knoweth me that I am uh, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. It's the, he, he, three things that he does, loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. He delights in the loving kindness. Not so much in the, uh, in the judgment. Now, he will do judgment to catch our attention. And he'll do the righteousness. But would he rather have to bring judgment or have us to respond to his loving kindness? Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not willing... Uh, excuse me, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why does God ask questions? Because it's his nature of having loving kindness and mercy. For somebody in foreign countries or even in our own country that does not know the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth, the God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and to pay for our sins, to come up with all other ways that they're trying to appease or please a God of heaven, or the God of stars, the God of sun, the God of tree. We had a neighbor that lived next to us uh, for a while that because of his background, uh, he worshiped nature. It was 
part of his tribal custom. To talk to him about, uh, to talk to him about God and about who Christ was, he knew some of the Bible stories, but it wasn't because he really attended church that much, but it was so foreign to him. It was easier for him to choose his own way. And yet God placed him by us because of, his, because of God's loving kindness to at least give him an opportunity. Had a chance to give him a couple tracks. I witnessed to him. Uh, I don't remember if it was Alan or Jeremy witnessed to him. And he was very polite. He listened kindly. He never, never shoot us off or anything like that. But it was God's loving kindness that placed him by us. He didn't, he didn't place him where there was no, nobody else around that was going to witness to him or whatever. Why does God ask questions, number three, to give us an opportunity to repent and to turn to him? Back here in Genesis chapter four, beginning in verse six. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance falling? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? He, he actually gives Cain a, uh, a second chance to be able to go back and to bring in the right sacrifice. Now we have no information as to what they previously did, Adam and Eve did, as the children came along and everything. But at some point they recognized that they were supposed to bring an offering. Verse 3, and it came to pass uh, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering of the, uh, unto the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So they must have been bringing some kind of offering to, to recognize and acknowledge there is a God. Mom and dad walked and talked in the garden with God. I don't know if that ever took place while the children came along. I, I, I have the impression that it probably didn't, that they didn't hear the voice of the Lord. But mom and dad said, you should have been there. There was a time where before we sinned that we would walk, we'd be walking in the garden. God, God himself would talk to us. And so there was a, a lasting impression. At some point, they recognized that they needed to bring offerings. We don't have that conversation where God spoke to Adam and Eve or uh, established uh, uh, what he was they were supposed to bring. But obviously, they had been bringing a meat sacrifice to, to, uh, to show the, the, the future death of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So there was some information there. Cain brought the, brought the uh, Abel brought the right one. Cain brought the, uh, brought the wrong one. And it, to me, in a way, it would almost make sense in that, okay, I'm going to bring something to the Lord. Uh, this is what I'm going to bring. Well, he had sheep. He could, he could have been mad. He had sheep. You know, he brought what he had. I brought what I had. I'm, I'm a tender of the garden. I, I've got fruits and vegetables. And stuff, so I brought the best of what I had. That wasn't the requirement. That wasn't the requirement at this offering. Now, they did bring of their fruits and vegetables and things during specific holiday seasons set up by the law later on beginning later on in Genesis and Exodus and things like that. But at this point, God, he, he ended up uh, slaying a lamb and providing them coats of, 
It's not Sunday school, but you can still respond. You don't just sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. He brought coats of what? He didn't bring fig leaves like you see the pictures of Adam and Eve standing over here in the garden. I don't know if they had fig leaves or not, but God said, whatever you have, it's not good enough. I'm going to prepare a way for you. So there was information there, but he asked asked Cain, and the Lord said, why art thou wrong? Why are you mad if you already know what it was you were supposed to do? And why is thy countenance fallen? Mumbling and who did he get mad at? I don't know. It doesn't really say that he got mad at God. I think there's a good possibility that he did get mad at God. But I think he was more mad at his brother. Well, why did God accept him? You know, and he could come up with excuses like, you know, I, I've got fruits and vegetables and he's got sheep and it was just easier for him. And uh, we were doing the same thing. And, but he, he got mad, probably a little bit at God, but he got mad at his brother because his brother had the right sacrifice. But God doesn't leave. He asked him some questions to get him to think, to get him to repent. Say, I'm sorry. Let me, let me go. Uh, I'll, I'll be back in an hour with the right sacrifice. Uh, brother, I will, I will swap you a bushel full of... What are we swapping a bushel full of for a, for a lamb? Pulse. What? Pulse. Pulse. <laughs> I'll swap you a bushel full of acorn squash. I can eat that stuff to be polite. We, we had a squash conversation last night after supper. Uh, I, will, I will bring you a bushel of mangoes. Any, anybody had real mango, fresh mangoes right off the tree? They don't, out of the store, not bad, but they pick them green. It's like anything else you pick green, whether it be uh, uh, peaches or cherries or whatever, and they ripen on the way to the store or whatever. Fresh Mangoes. I will bring you a. I will bring you a a bushel full of cantaloupe. I love fresh, ripe cantaloupe. I'll bring you a bushel full of sweet corn. We've been having sweet corn on a regular basis. At the, you know what? It, what is your what is your favorite, brother? I will trade you abundance of what I have. I I just need I just need a little lamb. But he didn't do that. He got mad at his brother set his whole mind against, uh, against him and against God, and God still gives him an opportunity to be able to repent at that point and to, uh, to do the right thing, a second opportunity. We, e- we have equal responsibility to make right choices. We each have equal responsibility to make right choices. Whether it be a couple, children, whether it be a couple, you know, mom and dad versus a child, whether it be a brother in the Lord, a sister, we each have the opportunity to make right choices, to get things right. When, when God speaks to our, wait a minute, wait, stop, stop. That's, that's not right. You shouldn't have that attitude. Uh, we, we need to respond in the, uh, in the right way. We can't blame others. 
Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 34, God is no respecter of persons because of his patience. He gives us a window of time and grace to turn from the error of our ways and to be saved from judgment. There are, have been times, and I'm not going to go into any detail in my early Christian life, where I did something that I knew was wrong. And God didn't, as, as the Pastor King would used to say, God didn't drop the hammer and said, ah, you know, you did that, you recognized it, and you didn't stop right there and turn and repent from it. God gave me time several times to be able to, to work on my heart, to convict me. Uh, sometimes it was when reading my Bible. Sometimes it was uh, something that was preached. Sometimes it was my wife's countenance. But God, God didn't judge me and punish me right after I did the wrong thing. He gave me a, pay, a, a period of grace to be able to speak to my heart, to convict me of what I did wrong, to convict me of my sin, and to get right. Aren't you glad that he is full of loving kindness? Aren't you glad that he is a God of patience? Aren't you glad that he does give us an opportunity to be able to, uh, to turn to him and to make the, make the right choices? James chapter 5, verse 20, let him, that, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. This is usually preached talking about somebody, uh, you deal with somebody, they get saved, and then they're on their way to heaven. I don't think that we use that all the time, but I don't think that is the completely the only uh, definition of that. Let him know that he that converteth the sinner brings to his attention, this is wrong, this is what, uh, this is what the Bible says, and the person responds to it, uh, from the air of his way shall save a soul from death. It doesn't say necessarily from hell. It says from death, from, from punishment from God. And shall hide a multitude of sins. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For, whosoever, for whatsoever things were written... Of, sorry, take a deep breath. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience in comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. God is patient. Now, his patience will run out, especially when he's spoken to us, and he's spoken to us, and he's spoken to us, and we don't respond, or we, we just ignore it. His patience will run out. But I'm glad that he's had patience with me in several situations, how many times has God extended patience and opportunity for us to come to him for salvation or forgiveness of a sin? And also for us to have patience and forgiveness with others. Because God has been patient with me. I need to be able to show that same patience with somebody else when they make a wrong choice, when they sin, when they, when they make a huge mistake. I need to have that same patience for God to work on their heart and bring them back around. Now, sometimes that means I have to speak up and say something, particularly if it would be one of my children or grandchildren. I'm not going to go correcting your children or your grandchildren, but part of my responsibility as a grandparent is to deal with those. I'm, there may be times where God says, you need to speak to them about that. We had a situation here recently that was with another person that we knew well. And uh, 
Cheryl says, are you going to go talk to them? And I says, I, I don't feel like the, God hasn't prompted me to go speak to them. Well, a couple of weeks later, the Lord opened up an opportunity. We need to have patience and grace for God to deal with their heart, to bring them back to him. Why does God ask uh, uh, questions to give us an opportunity to make right choices, to turn to him? Matthew chapter uh, 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? What is the classic Bible answer? Jesus said unto them, I say not unto thee until seven times. Until 70 times seven. I still struggle with that. When somebody does the same thing over and over. Okay, one, two strikes, three strikes, you're out in the old ball game. Four strikes, five. How many? 70 times seven? Give me a break. But that's what the Bible says. But to be quite honest, I struggle with that with things in the past with, my, with a couple of my children. Now, fortunately, because we did, on occasion, God prompt us to be able to talk to them and say, look, this is wrong. Here's why it's wrong. This is what the Bible says. You all know better. And like we talked about in Sunday school, uh, did, they, did they do more than, oh, I'm sorry, and go on? No. Were you genuinely sorry? Did you honestly repent? And then, and then turn back to God. Many times, if I was had the patience, God would deal with their heart and, and get, it, uh, get it straightened out. Seventy times seven. Just stop. I need to move. I can't, I can't take this anymore. Why does God ask questions for us to realize that we have sinned against him, but that he loves us and has made a way of forgiveness? Look at verse 7 again here in Genesis chapter 4. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. The first four characters in our Bible all made wrong choices and sinned against the Lord. Satan, Eve, Adam, and Cain. Whoa, that I had never really thought about. I, I read that statement the other, the other day. In spite of that, God made a way for mankind to come to him. Genesis 4.25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, for God, said she, hath appointed unto me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. To Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then man, then began men to call on the name of the Lord. I don't know what they did prior to that. This is the this is kind of the next generation because Seth is born, but it's not really until his son gets born that they start calling out. I'm not sure. I didn't look at any commentaries to con, to confuse myself or to try to shed light on. Was that when they when they spent time? praying with them. They had heard mom and dad about, we used to walk and talk in the garden with God. And then people finally realized, okay, I don't need to just bring a sacrifice. I don't need to just bring an offering. I can actually talk to God myself. I'm thinking that in, in Larry's world, that's what I came up with. But that for whatever reason, it took that long for, to realize, okay, I can talk to God directly. 
I will not, whether they heard from him or not, I'm thinking not, uh, specifically the voice like Adam and Eve did, but they called on the name of the Lord. There's more information that has been, has been given to them, but they have the ability to speak directly to God on their behalf about whatever it is that there's concerning him. And we see that all the way up till David was probably the best known for having that relationship with the Lord, that he was talking to him frequently. We realize it because of the way he wrote the Psalms, that it wasn't, oh, let me, let me just pen this down. I think David talked to the Lord continually while he was out there watching his father's sheep. Uh, Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sin is a choice. Sin is a choice. Most of us, from the time that we are little, know what's right and wrong. And yet, not only will the small children make the wrong choice, and we give them a little bit of grace period through that because they're, they're learning. But some of that comes with judgment. Some of that comes with some discipline. But adults, we know what's right and wrong. Uh, I'm not going to rabbit trail, but with the, uh, with the political system situation coming up and uh, the people that are running for offices and they know what's right and wrong, whether they've been in church or not. God gives some of that naturally to people. He, he, he has made a way for us to repent and be saved. Acts 2.21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Galatians 1, uh, Galatians 1, verse 3. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father. For those of you who are attending church that you've not been saved, or this is maybe the first time that you've heard it, I don't... I recognize most everybody, but I really don't know your spiritual situation. God has, has asked questions, has used this message to get you to stop and think. They clear back from in, in Genesis. When there was sin, he gave an opportunity to repent and to turn. Why? Because of his loving kindness. Why? Because of his patience. Why? Because of his mercy. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't put it off because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming one of these days, whether, whether it be tomorrow in a particular situation, but eternal judgment is going to happen to, uh, to anyone who has never trusted Christ. So my, my plea to you is, if you've never trusted Christ, do it today. He's given you how many years on this earth to be able to sit in a place where Bible is preached to give you an opportunity to know of his loving kindness. Don't turn him, don't turn him away. Don't turn him down. Trust Christ today. If you're not, if you say, Lord, Larry, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do that. 
Speak to me. Speak, speak to virtually any man in this church. If you're a man, if you're a lady, speak to one of the ladies in the church. They would be happy to take the time to show you what the Bible says clearly of why Christ came. Jesus used the, what time is it? Noon. Okay, we can run through this real quick and still get home in time for lunch. Jesus used the same form of teaching several times by asking questions to to get people to think. The very first time he asked the question is to Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. And he said to them, how is it that he sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Remember, he, they, took him to, uh, they took him into Jerusalem, and uh, they were all headed back home. A, a, a day's journey, and somebody's, where's Jesus? How would you like to be mom and dad and realize who this child is, and you lost him? <laughs> I mean... How, how could that happen? Well, I'm thinking because they were traveling in a group, if you read the whole, the whole scriptures there, uh, they were traveling in a group that all the, all the boys, you know, about that age, they were all traveling together. We saw him in the morning. They, when they stopped for the evening, nobody knew where he was. I would hate to have that. And it took them three days to find him. And he says, why, you know, how is it that he saw me? Wished he not to be about my father's business? I'm thinking that's one of the first times that he verbally acknowledged to them, remember why I'm here? Remember who I am? Remember that this is my father's business. It's not just learning in the carpenter shop. It's not just learning to be a a, a good son. This is the reason that I'm here. To the Pharisees, he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 3, and Jesus answering, uh, answering them said, Have ye not read? He says that statement seven times to the Pharisees throughout the scriptures. Have ye not read? And kind of rebuking them. To the multitude in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I mean, he's already taken care of the multitude, the crowd, a couple of times. in, uh, In I don't remember exactly chronologically whether he says this. In scripture, after the first time he fed the 5,000, or if it's in between, or if it's the end of it, but uh, Lord, Lord, you know, tell us some more, feed us some more. Why call me, me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? To the scribes, Matthew 9, verse 4. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and, and uh, go unto thine house. It's one of the only times that Jesus answers his own question. Rebuking the scribes again. And then to the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? And Peter responds, or doesn't respond. Uh, At that point, he responds after the next question in in the following verse. Peter, and saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter acknowledges, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then to Peter, so he's... He asks questions 
to Mary and Joseph, to the Pharisees, to the multitudes, to the scribes, to the disciples, and now specifically to Peter, to get them to stop and think about the point that he's trying to make. To Peter in Matthew 16, 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for, the soul, for his soul? He's trying to get Peter to realize that there is more than this life. There's more than fish. There's more than following and being a good disciple. That the people you are, that you are going to be dealing with shortly, that your focus needs to be on their spiritual situation because there is a heaven and there is a hell. Do not just talk about the weather. Do not just talk about the football game. Do not just talk about the, the great meal that you had. Your purpose, Peter, is coming up soon where you are going to be given the responsibility of telling people who I am, why I came, and explain to them the importance of salvation and an eternity of forgiven sin. And in John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these, more than these, lovest thou me more than these fish? Where did he find them? After, the, after his death, where did he find them? Peter said, I go fishing. I don't know what happened all there in Peter's mind, but Peter says, I'm, I'm, I'm going fishing. Whether it was just to take a break, whether it was to go out and do something he was familiar with, uh, whether he just said, I give up. Lovest thou more than these, speaking of the, speaking of the fish, he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Joseph, Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest Thou, me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Why are you asking me this question when you already know the answer? Because I have something for you to do. The conclusion is, how is your soul? Are you saved and trusting in Jesus Christ only to forgive your sins? 2 Peter 3.9 For the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you trusted Christ as your personal Savior? Christian, he asked Peter, lovest thou me? And then he gave him a, a job to do. He gave him something to do to be able to fulfill his life and to fulfill the Great Commission, to, to give him a purpose. What is the work that God has given you to do? Some of it is coming up this week, or this next couple of weeks, inviting people to the evening of gratitude. That's one of your responsibilities. I'm saved. Lord, I'm not sure what to do. Well, here's an evening of gratitude to start inviting people to. Lord, I'm saved. I'm not sure what to do. Well, you can invite people to the family day and watch Mr. Corey play around in the bounce house. Hopefully not with 25 other kids all at the same time. 
But see, he has given us things to do. Not everybody's going to be a Sunday school teacher. Not everybody's going to be able to work with the young people. Not everybody can play the piano. Uh, Most of us, if we really put our mind and heart to it, we could probably sing in the choir. We're not limited by the number of of, uh, seats, chairs up here. There's things that we can do. There's things that you are already doing. Keep doing them. If you are saved, if he said, lovest thou me, you can say, Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I've trusted you. And here's some of the places of service that I'm involved in to be able to forward the gospel and to make a difference in Freedom Baptist Church. Father, I thank you for the time you've given to us to be able to look at your word. The questions that you asked to get us to think about your loving kindness, your mercy, the way that you made a way of salvation, the way that you have given us grace period of time, the way that you draw us and, and, and uh, give us responsibilities after we trust you. Lord, would you continue to work in lives and hearts here in Christ's name, I pray. Everyone standing heads.